What's up, Mopar enthusiasts? We are cooking with gas here on episode number two of Talking Mopars, and today we're going to talk a new engine in the works at FCA, modern Mopar reliability, a Hellcat saved from the grave, the philosophy of no Mopar left behind, Project Car of the Week, and Mr. Norm's Big Block Dart. Don't go anywhere. I am Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Once again, we are firing on all cylinders here at Talking Mopars, and this is episode number two. If you were here for episode number one, welcome back. But if you missed episode number one, shame on you. Shame, shame. But that's okay. Rejoice. What I, here, this is what I want you to do. Listen to this episode, and then go back. Listen to episode number one, and then, guess what? You're going to be caught up to speed. But until then, let me just give you a quick rundown of what this show's about. Talking Mopars is your direct connection to all things Mopar. No Mopar will be left behind. We're going to cover it all. It's just going to take some time. You know, the world of Mopar, the history of Mopar, it's huge. There's so much to talk about. So we're just going to chip away. We're just going to chip away one car at a time, one story at a time. And the good news is we have plenty to talk about. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get right into it. But, But first, let me just say this. Since I launched this show, I have received nothing but positive feedback. And I didn't know what to expect when I launched the show, so it was a welcome surprise. I've heard from so many different people. I've made so many new friends. So I just want you to know that I am super appreciative of it. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy this show as much as I enjoy this show. And I'm just looking forward to what the future has in store for this show. So sit tight and let's get right into it. If you've been paying attention to Mopar news recently, you've probably heard the same disturbing rumors that I have, and that's that FCA is going to be killing the 5.7 Hemi and the Pentastar V6 to make room for a new engine that they're calling the Tornado. This engine is rumored to be a derivative of the current turbocharged four-cylinder found in Alfa Romeos, and upon its release, it's supposed to be found in SRT vehicles, Alfa Romeos, and Maseratis. Now, you're probably asking, is there physical evidence? Yes. Some Mopar sleuth, some Mopar Sherlock Holmes found a schematic, a technical drawing that shows this engine. And apparently it was found on the USPTO, which is the United States Patent and Trademarking Office. And basically what happened was FCA filed the patent on the design of this engine. So where there's smoke, there's fire, folks. So this this may be true after all. Some numbers that are being thrown around when it comes to this engine are a single turbo version, standard, that comes with 360 horsepower. There will also be a high-performance version that is twin turbocharged with 525 horsepower. I don't know what will be in between those two numbers, but that's pretty impressive. So currently the Pentastar V6, I think, is around 300 horsepower, and this new inline-six 
starts at 360, plus it's boosted. So, you know, this is getting interesting. So we'll see what happens. Apparently, it's going to be using FCA's new technology called eBooster. It's eBooster technology. I don't know anything about it. I haven't done research to speak on it. But I want to do some research and dig up some facts. Apparently, so from what I gather, the eBooster technology is basically a way that they've come up with to reduce turbo lag electronically. That's all I know, and that's barely anything. So take my word with a grain of salt. Now, if you have the same mindset as me, you're probably thinking at first, when you heard this rumor at first, you're probably like, they're killing off the 5.7 Hemi. What are they doing? But I mean, when you look at that first number, that 360 horsepower, think about the power output of a 5.7 Hemi. And then maybe you're going to change your mind a little bit. Because guess what? You know, with the 5.7 Hemi gone, that's okay, because we still have Hemis. Folks, relax. We still have Hemis. They haven't gotten rid of them yet. And maybe the idea of a turbocharged inline six isn't so bad after all, because, you know, when it's all said and done, we still have the 6.4392, and we still have the 6.2 supercharged Hemis. So, you know, I don't think it's something to be too worried about. I think that a new platform to play with would be a lot of fun, especially when you start talking about boost. You know, there's a reason why so many people are turbocharging and why they're utilizing superchargers to build power, because they do, (laughs) you know. So here's what I would like to see. I would like to see a new CUDA. Yes, that's right, a new CUDA. But not just a Challenger with an appearance package. I want to see a whole new car. I want to see, here's my prediction or suggestion to Mopar. Okay, I want you guys to build a CUDA that is lighter weight, more compact, and better handling than a Challenger or a Charger. I think there's a big market there that you guys could capitalize on, and I think if you executed it right, you would really have a hit. I think that car would be a huge success. So that's my prediction. I think that Mopar is going to come out with the CUDA. It's going to have a twin turbo, 525 horsepower inline six. And I think it's going to really piss a lot of people off. And I think it's going to make a lot of people really happy. And the idea is intriguing. That's, those are my thoughts on that. Moving on. Some interesting news that I've heard recently is that Dodge made the top 10 in the Consumer Reports reliability rankings. So they moved up 13 spots to number eight. Now, that's pretty good. They are the only Detroit-based automaker to make the top 10. So that's impressive. And it's largely due to the Challenger and the Grand Caravan having above-average reliability ratings because, you know, longevity. Time heals all wounds, you know. When you come out with a new car, there's a lot of bugs that need to be worked out. And apparently, Dodge worked out those bugs enough to make it to the top 10 in Consumer Reports reliability. So. Those rankings are pretty serious, and you know, like I said, Dodge is the only Detroit-based automaker to make the top ten. That's cool. So, congratulations, Dodge. Good job. Um, a lot of us love the Challenger, and keep up the good work. Another interesting video that I ran across recently was a YouTube video by the channel DIY Gang. It's this guy named Jose, and he is super talented. Okay. So this video has almost 13 million views, 
and the guy has nearly 330,000 subscribers. This video is of him rebuilding a burnt-up 2016 Hellcat. Now, when I say burnt-up, that doesn't even begin to describe this car. It appeared... uh, When I first saw it, I was like, oh, that's a total loss. There's no way. I mean, without... It wouldn't even be worth it to rebuild that car. But this guy pulled it off. Now, I can say burnt-up, and that just doesn't even begin to describe how burnt this car was. I mean, you might as well call it the Hell Crispy. (laughs) It's not even a Hellcat. It's just Hell... It's Hell Crispy. Um, This thing, it was so burned, it it could have been the getaway car in Dante's Peak. (laughs) I don't know if you know that movie, but this car... Okay, here, here's a better example. This car was burnt worse than Anakin Skywalker at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Okay, this thing, oh man, this thing, it looked like, you know when you're roasting marshmallows and you get the marshmallow too far into the flame and it catches fire and you pull it out and instead of just blowing on it immediately, you like shake the stick around hoping that the flame will go out and then you're like, oh God, I just got to blow it out and you blow it out, but it's it's already too far gone and it's burnt to a crisp, but you eat it anyway. That's exactly the scenario here. <laughs> this guy buys this Challenger. You know, this Hellcat, burnt to a crisp. Hell crispy. That's what we're calling it for the sake of this discussion. It's hell crispy. He buys this car, cuts it all up, sections it out, uses a donor car to finish it because he cut the roof off. I mean, the amount of work involved in the build. It's it's a 15-minute video that shows this entire process, and it blew my mind. I was just sitting there like, wow. the only thing I could think of was I suck. <laughs> I, I'm thinking about my project cars in the garage and all the excuses that I come up with to not get them done. And I realize, oh, I, I have no, I have no good excuses. This guy, I mean, my hat is off to him. Okay. Super talented. So Jose, if you ever hear this, just know that we see you, dude. That thing is awesome. Amazing job. You, that was a success. Total success. He succeeded in rebuilding that Challenger. Nobody can deny that. And, you know, you're watching this video and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but how much, dude? How much money did he put in that thing? Okay, well, hey, he's got a video on that too. You can watch it. So go watch that video. And let's just say that for less than $40,000, he rebuilt that car from the ground up and now it has a custom engine. So it was rebuilt to be apparently faster than a demon. I, you know, I didn't see a dyno video or anything like that. So I'm going to take his word for it, but it was at the machine shop. It's been completely rebuilt. It's got custom paint. He, he put candy paint on it. It's beautiful color. Uh, it's got custom wheels and so much more. You can't put a price on the amount of elbow grease this guy put into this car. I wanted to mention this guy in this video because his project embodies the motto, no Mopar left behind. And when you see the car, it really just puts the thought into your mind that, okay, anything is possible. You know, if you're willing to put the time, effort, and the money, of course, into it. So Jose, great job. Go check out his video. You can find it on YouTube. Just look up DIY gang. He's got a bunch of cool videos. Go watch them. And while we're on the subject of no Mopar left behind, 
I would like to say this. When we talk about no Mopar left behind, as it pertains to the Mopar hunter, that saying is basically, you know, we don't want to crush these cars. You know, I don't like to see them crushed. I think that before crushing becomes, uh, it should be a last resort. These cars, a lot of them can be used to help save another. So I think that should be said. But as it pertains to this podcast, no Mopar left behind means something a little bit different. You've heard me say that we're going to leave no Mopar left behind and that we're going to cover all Mopars. So what I want to convey is that it doesn't matter what kind of Mopar you have. I think they're all cool because I'm a Mopar enthusiast. I'm an equal opportunity Mopar enthusiast. So when you tell me a story, I don't care if it's a 1970 Plymouth Superbird story or if it's a story like the one I'm about to tell you. So some people don't have the funds, myself included, to have these high dollar, super, super sought after cars. Sometimes you get an heirloom car. Now, an heirloom car is a car that's been passed down to you and has a certain level of sentimental value attached to it. Now, this story was sent to me by Charles Little. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read the message that I got from Charles, and this is the story about Charles Little and the 1979 Chrysler Cordoba that was handed down to him from his grandfather. Enjoy. My papa passed away the day before my sixth birthday, so his 1979 Chrysler Cordoba sat parked until the next summer. My 17-year-old brother learned how to drive on it, and it only took him three months to tear the tranny out because he was driving it like a race car. From there, my uncle bought it, repainted it, and had the transmission redone. He then lost interest and pulled it out of his garage and put it under an old wood shed where it sat until last year. The shed was ready to fall in, so I started raising hell. He pulled it out into the field and let it sit until last summer. He didn't want me to have it, so he gave it to his grandson. But his grandson ended up moving away, so his grandson gave it to me. When I got it home, my son and I started cleaning on it. We found the original papers where my papa had paid $7,300 for it new in 1979 in the dash. My brother had passed away in 2011. He was into stereos and put a nice one in every car he owned. One day, my son and I decided to see if the stereo worked. My papa was a huge Reds fan. The first station we found had a ball game on it. We noticed that the back speakers weren't working, so my son crawled into the trunk to check the wiring. He found a loose speaker wire, but what shocked us is that the speakers were not factory. They were a set of Pioneer 6x9s that my brother had installed with what short time he had the car. It didn't take long to get the car running, but it went idle due to having a blown intake gasket. I sold a little Honda car to get started on fixing Papa's car. I'm a traveling musician, so money is either rolling in or dry. I wanted to keep the original engine, but rid it all of all the smog crap. My uncle had already did away with the lean burn, but I decided to take it a step further, so I began a mad hunt for Mopar stuff. I ended up finding a nice 364 barrel intake from a St. Regis police car. From there, I ordered a 454 lift cam, a new 625 CFM Demon Carb, new roller chain and gears, Edelbrock springs, Mopar performance valve pans, all new gaskets along with new water pump and a breather. I only redone the heads and intake because the car only had 52,000 miles on it and doesn't smoke. 
I used to build old Chevys in my 20s, but this is my first Mopar build and means the world to me. I'm about 30 bucks away from getting it running, but I'm not getting any shows so money is tight. Christmas is also coming, so my kids come first. I'm hoping to get it running very soon. I also hope you enjoy the story behind my very special car. By the way, the engine is a 360. In 1979, the 318 was the standard engine, with the 360 being optional, so I guess my papa wanted more power. You are more than welcome to use my story in your podcast, and please let me know when your next one is. I loved the first one. No one talks about Cordobas, and they were very instrumental in keeping Chrysler alive in the late 1970s. I don't know anyone better than you to shed some light on this forgotten Mopar gem. Imagine what this car and the 360 could have been without emission loss. And that is Charles Little's story about his 1979 Chrysler Cordoba handed down to him by his grandfather. Thank you, Charles, for sharing your story with me. And for all of you listening, I want to hear your stories. Send them in. You know, I'll try to get to them if I can. I like to share stories like these because I think they're the foundation of car enthusiasm. Most car enthusiasts have a story, you know, maybe not like Charles' story, but they have a story where a car has had an impact on them in their life, and that led to them being enthusiastic about cars. So email me at chris at talkingmopars.com and share your story with me. I'm going to go through them. Hopefully I get to them all. I want to share all your stories. I think it's fun. I think it's cool to hear these stories. And like I said, it doesn't matter if it's a, you know, 1970 Plymouth Barracuda Hemi car or if it's a 1985 Chrysler LeBaron, like my grandmother's car that I traveled the United States in with her when I was five. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a different story for another time. I just wanted to say that I am open to any and all Mopar stories. I do not discriminate. If you have a good story, if you have a heartfelt story, I want to share it. This week's project car was an eBay find. Now, I want you to envision this car. So, think of a 1970 Plymouth Superbird in Y1 lemon twist yellow with color matched steel wheels and poverty hubcaps. This car has a black vinyl top with black interior and bucket seats, a tick-tock tack, and a pistol grip four-speed. Under the hood sits a 446 barrel. Out back, a Dana 60 with 354 gears and a sure grip. This car is you know, what a lot of Mopar enthusiasts, uh, I'm one of them, that this is the type of car that you hope to God that when someone says, oh yeah, I got an old, an old Mopar in the shed out back, you know, it's a, and you're like, oh yeah, what, uh, you know, you're just prodding for information like, oh yeah, what, what, uh, what do you got? And they're like, oh, it's an old Plymouth. It's got, uh, the big fin on the back and, you know, it's got that beak on the front of it and with the flip up headlights. And you're thinking to yourself, good God, good God. And you're trying to play it cool, you know, like, uh, so, uh, you know, um, when can I come look at it? You know, I come look today. I mean, if you got time and, uh, so you go out there and you open the shed and there it is. The first thing you see when you're lifting, when you're lifting the tarp, the dilapidated tarp on this thing is you, you already know what it is. You know, you can see the overall shape and you're just like, you're lifting the tarp and your breath is taken away. This is the type of car that every Mopar hunter, like myself, wants to find. But you're talking about a needle in a haystack. Most likely, if I ever say, oh, hey, uh, so you got an old Mopar? 
They're going to go, oh, yeah, it's an old Plymouth. And you're going to go out there and it's going to be a 1988 Plymouth Sundance or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but this car is advertised as a two-owner, 83,000-mile, all-original, unrestored survivor car for $149,950. But here's the thing. Here's my problem. I got questions. Okay. So this car is advertised as original, unrestored, surviving. But it was repainted once in the early 80s. That means it's not original and it is not a survivor. I'll give you unrestored. Nobody put this thing on a rotisserie or anything like that, so I'll give them that. But guess what? If anything has been modified, such as the paint or bodywork or anything like that, it's not original and it's not a survivor, okay? Period. That's all there is to it. You know, this car, you know, it's awesome. Do not get me wrong. It is absolutely awesome. I would die to have this car. But one thing I hate, out of all the thousands of cars I've shared and, you know, seen for sale, I absolutely hate when cars are misrepresented. And this car was misrepresented. Don't advertise it as original, unrestored, surviving if it's been repainted, period. You know, it's got Goodyear Eagles on it. You know, that's not original. What are you talking about? You know, so that's, uh, that's my big gripe with this car. I believe that that's false advertising, you know, plain and simple. I think that it's just the hook to get you in. But, you know, I hope nobody's fooled. I hope nobody buys it and then goes around you know, and spreads that misinformation like, oh, I've got an original unrestored surviving, you know, Superbird, because they're going to feel pretty bad when they take it to their first show and they get some, you know, some know-it-all, you know, going, hey, and they just get ripped to shreds. You know, that's what's going to happen. They're going to get ripped to shreds because this dealership, who I will not name, they are misrepresenting this car. And I've seen some of the other cars they've had and They've got some, they got cool stuff. This Superbird is cool. Do not get me wrong. I love this car, but you can't call it original. You can't call it a survivor. I'll let you have unrestored because a cheap paint job or however much it cost in the early eighties, you know, that, okay, that wasn't a restoration, but the car is cool. You know, is it worth 150,000? You know, if I had 150,000, uh, if I had a disposable income, yeah, guess what? That Superbird, I'd be, I'd be driving that thing. I would be daily driving that car. That's what kind of jerk I am. Okay, if I had a wing car, I'd drive it all the time. Rain, sleet, snow, ice. I don't care. I'm driving that car. Just kidding. I would never take it in the winter. Um, but I, you know, I, I've, like I said, I've seen these cars advertised falsely. I see it all the time and it really annoys me and it's really, really doing an injustice to people new to this hobby because they see, you know, terminology used like that. And it's it's not just original unrestored survivor, those terms, barn finds, um, those terms when they aren't really original unrestored survivors or actual barn finds, when you throw those terms around, they discredit you know, cars that are actually original unrestored survivor barn finds, because then everybody starts questioning every car 
that has any of that terminology attached to it. So please, if you're selling a car, represent it correctly. You know, if they had just advertised this car as two owner, you know, 83,000 mile car, mostly original, I would have let them have that. If they would have just said mostly original, that would have been fine. But they didn't. You know, this car, when you mess with the paint, I'm going to go ahead and say this car's, we'll say 90% original, you know, and 10% unoriginal. I'll give them that. It's a beautiful car. You know, it's got, you know, bumps and bruises, and you can see, you know, rust peeking through, and it looks like it's got a little bit of cancer, but, you know, faded carpet. But to me, that is cool. I like that kind of stuff. So this car is absolutely cool. Is it worth $150,000? I'm not sure. I would pay it if I had the money. And i drive the thing until the Goodyear's fell off. <laughs> but that's me. So let's, uh, let's move on. Let's get into the real meat. We've already covered the potatoes. Let's get into the meat. And this week's meat is Mr. Norm's Big Block Dart. That sounded wrong, so we're going to change that. We're going to go ahead and edit that out in post, okay? We're going to edit that out. Nah, forget it. We're leaving it in. This is talking Mopars where we let it all hang out, okay? So, Mr. Norm's big block dart. Norman Krauss, the owner of Grand Spalding Dodge in Chicago, Illinois, a.k.a. Mr. Norm, was known for his dealing of performance cars and racing. Grand Spalding Dodge was known as the high-performance HQ when it came to Mopars. And in the second half of the 60s, Mr. Norm was trying to convince the suits at Chrysler to put big blocks in their compact cars because muscle car math is light car plus big engine equals fast. But in 1966, Chrysler did not have anything in their lineup that matched a big engine in a small compact car. Now, we move into 1967 where the A-body lineup received a complete redesign. But unfortunately, only one of those cars was available with a big block option, that car being the Barracuda. Apparently, Chrysler thought that the Barracuda would be better competition for the Mustang, as the pony car wars were just starting to pick up steam. But Mr. Norm saw potential in the newly designed Dart. He looked at it and thought that the 383 would fit. So he had his team do the swap, on a 1967 Dodge Dart GT with a slant 6 and a little bitty 904 automatic. They used a 383 out of a Coronet that had headers, larger jets, new plugs, and adjusted timing. This ended up giving the car way more power than the factory ever intended to. The car laid down 390 horsepower to the wheels on Mr. Norm's dyno, and it was tame enough for the street, but fast enough for the track. You know, they thought that with a properly tuned 383, it could turn low 12s in the quarter mile with plenty of potential to go faster. And, you know, at that time, you know, you're talking about 1967. And on the first episode, we talked about the 1968 Roadrunner and how the goal was to have a cheap car that could run the quarter mile in 15 seconds, okay, at 100 miles an hour. Now, Mr. Norm just put together a car, a Dart, that would turn low 12s in the quarter mile with this 383. So, you know, Mr. Norm was a rebel, and this was during the Dodge Rebellion era. So, it was kind of a perfect fit. And let's be honest, if you're not first, you're last. And Mr. Norm beat Dodge 
by getting the big block and the dart done first. Because, funny enough, in 1967, they actually made the engine available in the dart, and only 458 were produced. In 1968, Mr. Norm would change the game again with the 1968 440 Dart GSS, the Grand Spalding Special. The other pony cars put out more power, so the 440 was a must. But that's a story for another time. We'll get into the GSS Dart on another episode. I do want to close this story with a question that I actually asked Mr. Norm himself, and his answer surprised me. So what I asked him was, if he could go back in time, back to 1967, and instead of putting the 383 in the dart, I was curious to know if maybe he would have instead, looking back now, went with the 426 Hemi. Because as a lot of us know, in 1968, Chrysler had the Superstock Barracudas and the Superstock Dart, both outfitted with a 426 Hemi. Not intended for street use, but, you know, the engines were in there. So I was wondering if maybe, you know, he had ever thought that going with the Hemi would have, you know, he still would have beat Chrysler to the punch, and it would have been the Hemi. You know what I mean? It's always cooler to say you got a Hemi. I don't care what anybody says. It's always a little bit cooler to say you got a Hemi. But, you know, Mr. Norm, he uh, replied and said that, no, the 383 was, you know, the perfect engine choice, you know, and that I was comparing apples to oranges. So I respect his answer, and I completely understand his point of view. If it was me, I would have went with the Hemi. I would have shoehorned that sucker in. (laughs) I don't know how, but it would have happened. But that's that's me. So thank you, Mr. Norm, for answering my question. And hey, if you ever want to be on the show, you know uh, where to find me. Chris at TalkingMopars.com. And you can also find me. Share your stories with me because I want to share them on this show. So reach out to me. You can go to TalkingMopars.com and, you know, share your story with me. Like I said earlier in the show, I really want to tell these stories. I think they're fun, and I love reading them, and I hope that you enjoy listening to them. And there's plenty more to come, so send those stories in. Also, I'm trying to spread the word of this podcast. So if you're listening to this right now, and you have friends that are Mopar addicts just like us, you know, share it. Share the podcast, and let's get this word out there so that we can hear even more stories, because there's There's probably hundreds of thousands of fun Mopar stories out there to be told, and I want this platform to be a place to tell those stories and to share them. So, reach out to me. I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.